Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Deborah Cobray. All things were made by him. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. That he created the visible and the invisible. The word, the logos of God, as John taught us in John chapter 1, stepped out of eternity and stepped into the womb of a virgin and God became flesh. That is beyond my finite mind to wrap around, that God would care and love and actually reveal his plan and his utmost agape to you and I by becoming one of us. That's incredible. And if you have not yet grabbed a hold of that, then that's what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about giving and presents and family and Hallmark movies. That's the fluff and the fun. Christmas is about stepping back and looking up and recognizing and realizing that God so loved us the world, humanity made in his image, separated by sin, that he sent his only begotten son. John writes and says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father. They touched him, they saw him, they lived with him. They didn't know who he was. He looked just like a man. How could God tabernacle in normal human flesh? How could the God of the universe, all things that come and that are seen and unseen, all things that were created, all things that are created by him, how could he? step into my world and become one of us so that you and I could become like him. That's incredible. You see, it doesn't matter if you're going to be alone at Christmas or if you've lost somebody or if you're broke and you've lost your job or if things are bad and you're depressed. None of that matters because when you realize what and who he is and what he's done for us, then it changes our, our, it changes our value. It changes our whole evaluation of life. Now, I've been told, because I'm, I'm the older woman here now, you know, the Nana, that this generation and that America is diminishing in Christianity. And I look around and there's more empty seats than there are seats, people in the seats. But you see, I don't believe that. Because I don't believe that we are diminishing. I think we are rolling over and coming into a season of such revelation and inspiration by the Holy Spirit that that which is downtrodden and that which seems weak and ineffective is going to actually be changed and transform this country and this world yet one more time before the great and the terrible day of the Lord because he is coming. Jesus is returning. He's on a timeline and we're in it and we are a part of it. And tonight I want to speak to you about the mysteries of Christmas. I want to talk to you about things that maybe you don't think about or see. Is that all right? So the title of my message is, do you see what I see? Because when you begin to change perspective, and when you begin to step out of the natural world that we are born into, and the restraints of time, substance, space, the restraints of the natural world that we live in, and when you begin to step into the kingdom of God that Jesus has put us into through the new birth, then the perspective, then life, then what was never possible suddenly becomes possible. What never could be 
Now, absolutely, why not? But you see, the enemy wants to cloak and to hide and to diminish who God is and who we are in him. And so he does his great work, the enemy, he does his great work in the dark, but God does his best work in the dark because the darkness cannot hide the light that God is. So Father, I thank you tonight for the good news. I thank you tonight, Father, that this is a season and a time where your people called by your name are gathered together to stand in awe and reverence in the wondrous gift that you have given us. Behold what manner of love you have given unto us that we would be called the sons and the daughters of God. So Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to see in a different perspective and help us to see that there is nothing in this word that is irrelevant to this generation. But you are speaking to us today in the 21st century as clearly as you spoke to the prophets and to the saints of old. So I thank you for the revelation and the teaching of the Holy Spirit tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen? In the mighty name of Jesus. Do you see what I see? Let's start with some prophecies. Let's start with the Old Testament because the new is hidden in the old and the old is revealed in the new. And so the two work together. And God, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story. It's his story. That's what it's about. It's about God's plan for us and for his universe and for the reconciliation of all things, which he's doing through Jesus Christ, the church and the cross, which is an amazing thing. And if you don't know that, you can think your life has no purpose or significance, but that's absolutely a lie and that's foolish. So time to get, time to grow up a little bit, don't you think? Let's grow up. So I want to look at three things tonight, just little things that maybe you didn't think about, maybe you did. So maybe it's nothing new. Maybe it's absolutely new. But I want to start with the prophecy of the star, the star of Bethlehem. Now, we really don't know what that star is. If we did, we'd tell you. They don't know if it was a supernova. They don't know if it was a comet. They don't know if it was some type of planet alignment. They really don't know. All we know is that there was a light and a star And that star guided three magi, wise men from the east who were astronomers. And it guided them all the way to Jerusalem, into Herod's court, and all the way to Bethlehem. It happened. And so I want to find out about that prophecy because it was actually prophesied 1,400 years before it ever happened. And it was prophesied through a wayward, evil, debunked, prophet of God that was not Israeli, but he was actually a Midianite, a Gentile. Now, if God can use an evil man to send forth a prophecy that would start in motion and start in Babylon, and it would travel all the way through time, and it would call three wise men from the east to travel all the way into Jerusalem and Bethlehem, then God can speak today to us through everything. God's always talking. So let's look at this story because it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Ever heard of Balaam the prophet? Ever heard of the talking donkey? How many have never heard about Balaam and the donkey? Everybody's heard about it? Good. Okay, a couple people have. That's good. It's not a child's story, and it's not something we teach in children's church for the children. It really happened. And Balaam is mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. He's mentioned in Jude, verse 11. And he's mentioned in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, verse 14. He's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. So he was an important person for very negative reasons. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at, let's look at this prophecy and let's look at who he was. So if I'm going to look at Balaam and I'm going to look at, do you see what I see? And there's going to be a point to all this. Let me give you the point before I tell you the story. Is that all right? Because if this doesn't have relevance to my life, then it's just a story. 
But you see, I believe God is saying to us tonight at the rock that if you'll look at Balaam's life, and you'll look at what a fool he was and how much evil he actually accomplished, but that he could not curse what I have blessed. That point number one would be that I have nothing to fear but God. In this world, God says, fear nothing but me. Now wait, you know that we live in fear? Did you know it's our old operating default system? There's two kingdoms in operation. There's the kingdom of darkness that we were born into by sin. Jesus called Satan the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And there's the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to his people and to us, he said, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But you can't enter the kingdom until you're born again. So that's what this is all about, is God restoring us back, bringing us back, and giving us back everything that was lost. So in the old operating system of Satan, he operates in something called fear. That is the atmosphere, and that's the economic system of darkness, of fallen man, is fear. False evidence appearing real. For instance, why do we buy insurance? We're afraid, right? Why do we put aside and why are we... You see, there's so much to fear. The biggest fear is death. Did you know that? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but really nobody wants to die to get there. We fear old age. We fear disease. We fear being alone. We fear being hurt. We fear being broke. We fear being homeless. We fear, there's a million things that can motivate our decisions and our actions, but it's called fear. But you see, when God says, I have not called you to live by fear, I've translated you into my kingdom, the impossible, um, magnificent kingdom of God, I've called you to live by faith. So the opposite force of fear is faith. So that's why the enemy works so hard to steal the word out of your hearts, to get you to operate and make decisions because you're afraid or you're nervous or you're shamed or you're guilty or whatever goes with fear, to cause you to worry all the time because worry is to fear what hope is to faith. Worry paints a negative picture of what may never happen. Hope paints a beautiful picture of what very possibly will happen. Are you with me? They're forces. These are things that move us and cause us to live. And you see, God says, I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to live by faith. I want you to breathe the atmosphere of my love, and I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. And you are to fear nothing on this planet but me. Because when you are in the will of God, you are in the safest place you will ever be on planet Earth. Let me prove it to you by Balaam. So here's the, here's the backstory on Balaam. Balaam's a prophet. He's famous for whatever he blesses is blessed. Whatever he curses is cursed. He comes from the area of Midian. He's probably a Midianite prophet. We don't know, but we're assuming these things. And Israel has been in the wilderness now 40 years. They failed to enter the promised land through unbelief and disobedience. And now they've wandered and they have taken some kingdoms. They've taken the kingdom of Og and the kingdom of Sihon on the other side of the Jordan. And they've actually destroyed these cities and God has been with them. And this new generation is growing up now. And Israel is flexing its muscles and believing God. And all of a sudden there's millions of them. And all of a sudden Moab which is just right next to those two kingdoms of the Amorites, the, the King Og and the King Sihon, they hear about what God has done in Egypt, how he took this nation out of Egypt, how he visits them every night with a pillar of fire, and every day he air conditions them with a cloud. He sends manna every day. He split the Red Sea, the miracles, the victories that they have won. They are so afraid that they are actually scared to death. And you find this story beginning in Numbers chapter 22. 
And so the king of Moab has seen these kings destroyed, and he goes to hire this prophet Balaam because he's told whatever Balaam blesses will be blessed, whatever Balaam curses will be cursed. And he connects with Balaam, and he says, Come, and I need you to curse Israel for me because they are greater than we are, and they will overrun us and take over. And Balaam says to King Balak, he says, Well, I'm going to have to check this out with God because even though he's not an Israelite, he knows God. He knows that there is a God in heaven, along with all the other gods. Are you with me? This was polytheism. So Balaam has a conversation with God, and God says, you are not to go with him, and you are not to get near him, and you are not to do anything with this king. So Balaam goes back to King Balak, and he says, I can't go. King Balak says, well, I've got a lot of money for you. I can make you rich. So Balaam hightails it back to God and says, hey, just one more time. Can I go? And God says, all right, you can go, but there's great restraints. You can only speak what I'm going to tell you. So Balaam gets on his donkey and he hightails it to meet King Balak. This is where the story gets really interesting because he's riding his donkey and he's on this trail and all of a sudden his donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is what we call a Christophany. Do you know what that is? Christophany, the front row knows, but the rest of you go, huh? Christophany is an appearance of the pre-incarnate word, Jesus, the Logos. God said, no man can see my face and live. No man can see me. So God sends the word who becomes flesh in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, he appears to Abraham, he appears to Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's armies, he's the angel of the Lord, and you know he's God, the second person of the Trinity, whether or not he accepts worship, because no angel will ever let you worship them. Are you with me? Because angels are very real, and every time you will ever see an angel, if any of you will, just as a little side trip right now, they are so magnificent, they are so brilliant, they are so excessively and exceedingly beautiful and fierce that when you see them, you want to worship them. John, in the book of Revelation, after he has seen the resurrected Lord, after he has touched him and handled him and seen his resurrection, been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration and watched Jesus transform into the Logos, when he is in that island of Patmos and the angels have shown him all of that's about to take, in chapter 19 and 21, John falls at his face to this angel and wants to worship him. And the angel says, don't do that. I am a servant of the living God. Worship God alone. So no angel of God will ever let you bow or worship him. So when you see someone worshiping an angel in the Old Testament, it's the angel of the Lord. It's a Christophany. Are you with me? All right. So this donkey sees the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. Balaam, who is a prophet and a seer, doesn't see, but the animal, the beast, is seeing. That ought to tell us something right there. That happens one time. Balaam beats the beast. They continue on, and the angel of the Lord puts him in a very tight space so that the donkey, in fear, scrapes and crushes Balaam's foot. Balaam is furious. He still doesn't see, and he beats his donkey. The donkey continues on with Balaam, and finally, at the third time, in the third instance, there is nowhere to go. The angel of the Lord, with his sword drawn, stands before this donkey, and this donkey melts and slips down, and Balaam falls on top of him. That's it. Balaam is furious and he begins to beat his donkey. Now Peter says that God gave the donkey a human voice to restrain the madness of the prophet. So let's see what happens. Are you with me? Numbers chapter 22, verse 27. I think I have it in the overhead. Now when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's Anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've abused me. 
Excuse me. I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. You ever been mad at your dog? What amazes me about this whole thing is they are having a conversation. I don't know about you, but that's just kind of amazing to me. That's how far gone this prophet is. He's actually having sentences, complete sentences with periods and question marks. And they're communicating back and forth. So this donkey says to Balaam, after he's replied, Am I not your donkey? on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? That's pretty amazing. That's what the donkey was thinking. He was speaking. She was speaking. It's very relevant that she's a she. God used a female donkey to speak. <clears throat> Just saying. Okay. <clears throat> was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said no. So... Back and forth. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head, and he, he, bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. Balaam worships God. He repents. He says, oh, my gosh, I didn't see you. Then God rebukes him and says, listen, it's a good thing you have her because I was ready to kill you and keep her alive. So Balaam goes on, and then God says, go ahead and go but you're restrained by what I'm going to say to you. So Balaam goes and he finds King Balak. King Balak is desperate. He takes him to three different places in three different times. They build seven altars. They sacrifice bulls and calves on three different mountain peaks with seven altars. That takes some time to build those. And every time Balaam opens his mouth, he sees Israel spread out. He sees as far as God lets him see, and he sees the tents of Israel three times. Every time Balaam opens his mouth, he blesses Israel and does not curse. He cannot curse what God has blessed. I'm talking about Christmas and hidden things. So Balak, by this time, is absolutely furious. He slaps his hands together. He says, what have you done? I could have made you rich. And every time I'm with you, all you do is bless Israel. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Balaam says, look, I can only say what God's allowing me to say. So he says, I've got one more thing to say to you, King Balak, and this is what it is. And here is where he says, in Numbers chapter 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy the sons of turmoil. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not yet. A star shall rise out of Jacob, and a scepter of righteousness shall come forth. A unrighteous, dark, evil man who was hired to curse Israel cannot do anything but bless God's people and prophesy 1,400 years before it ever happened that a star would rise out of Jacob. And the Magi and the astrologers in Babylon and the East saw that prophecy. It was in, they had the Old Testament when Israel was in Babylon. They studied the stars, they studied the prophecy, and they knew that a star would come, and when that star would come, a king would come forth. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty amazing thing. That God takes a crazy man, has a donkey talk to him, he continues on his way in unrighteousness, and then uses that evil man to tell of the wondrous things that are going to happen to God's people. You know what that tells me? It tells me I don't have to be afraid of anything but God. There's nothing on this earth that's going to stop the move of God, going to stop the plan of God, going to stop the timing of God. There is no devil on earth or one loosed on this planet that's going to stop what God wants to do in your life. There is no weapon formed against you that's going to prosper. What God has blessed, man cannot curse. 
But here's the rub. There's more to this story. I said, fear nothing but God. Because later on, as the story goes, Balaam teaches Balak how to curse Israel. Israel can't be cursed by anything man can say or do. Israel can only be cursed by what Israel does. And Israel sins, and Israel goes into sexual immorality and idolatry because Balaam taught Balak, King Balak of Moab, he taught him how to put a stumbling block in Israel's way so that Israel would be enticed and entrapped by sin and move away from the holiness of God and thousands upon thousands of Israelites were killed and died because of that. And it took the son of Aaron, Phinehas, to take a spear and run through Cozy, which was the king's daughter. And this, they were having an orgy. And God said, this is the only way you're going to curse yourselves is when you step away from what I've called you to be and what I've called you to do. No one can curse you. You don't have to be afraid of any curse or any superstition. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. You don't have to be afraid if you're stuck in a dark alley and for some reason you can't get out. You know what? You're safe in the will of God and God's not left you. He is with you. There is not a situation on planet earth that we have to be afraid of except when we step away from the plan of God and we get into sin and we go in the wrong direction. Now we are into temptation and sin and that's when the devil can snare us. So God says, there's a lesson in Balaam. Don't go after unrighteous wealth and compromise. Fear me and don't compromise your walk. So we're gonna go on with the next couple of things, but this Christmas, you're gonna be with people. You're going to be with family. You're going to be with friends. You see, you can let them intimidate you. You can let them sway you. You can let them talk you into things. You can keep silent. You can be afraid. Or you can step in to who you are in Jesus Christ, a son and daughter of the almighty God, and you can speak the truth in love and be who you're supposed to be because you don't fear man, you fear God. There's a verse in Proverbs, and I'm going to end with this, and the, the point will move on. Proverbs chapter, do I have it on the board, the fear of man? Proverbs 25, 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Fear nothing but God, point one. Don't compromise your walk with God because of others. You are safe in the will of God. If God can use a crazy prophet to prophesy his word, then he can certainly take care of us. And you know, sometimes people ask me, how can a man of God or this pastor or this pastor fall and be in so much sin and yet God still spoke to his people? Good question, huh? Could it be that God cares about the people? God wants to get a word to them more than he cares. He'll deal with that man or that woman. He will deal with them like he dealt with Balaam. Balaam was killed and Balaam's in hell. But he cares about us. He cares about the word of God going forth. And if he needs to use a crazy man to speak his word and to bless his nation and not curse it, then he can and he will. And that tells me I don't have to be afraid of anything. Sickness and disease, poverty, I don't have to be afraid of anything. But I'm going to fear God and not compromise my stand with him this Christmas. Do you see what I see? Number two, how about this one? Don't sweat the small stuff. There's going to be a lot of situations in your life that you don't like. You're going to be believing God, and you're on the will of God and on the path of God, and all of a sudden, boom, something comes right out of nowhere and hits you right between the eyes. But did you know the very thing that you hate and you want to change could be the very thing that God's going to use as a sign to get you to God and get others to find him? Let me prove it to you. Number two, do you see what I see? Luke chapter two, verse eight. Luke's recording. The night the shepherds were visited by the angels. And in Luke chapter two, verse eight, it says, now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, 
keeping watch over their flocks by night. I love that because they're on the night watch, they're blue collar, and there they are, dirty shepherds. That's awesome to me because I'm a shepherd. Tells me that God loves shepherds. It's not an easy job. You're on the night watch and it's a dirty job, but God's called us to live with the mess because we're the mess. We're all in this together, right? So here are these shepherds. Now, all the people on the planet that knew what was happening, that the word was becoming flesh and he was about to be born, God uses wise men from the east and shepherds. They were probably, probably, it's an assumption, but they could very well have been temple shepherds. Bethlehem was three to six miles away from Jerusalem. There was a lot of lambs that had to be sacrificed daily. So they had their own flocks and their own shepherds. So these shepherds were out there and they were on the night watch and it says, and suddenly... Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were greatly afraid. Remember what I said about angels? They're magnificent. When you see an angel, you're seeing something, a being, an alien that you've never laid eyes on before. Do you know that Hebrews teaches us that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels? Humanity in our state right now are lower in power and ability than angels. When you die, you are not becoming an angel. God didn't come to redeem angels. God didn't become an angel to save angels. Angels are unredeemable. Those that fell with Satan are on their way to hell or already chained up there. And the saints will judge them. But God says, and they are ministering spirits of fire sent to help us. But when you see one, they're magnificent beings, and they love God, and they love what God loves, so they love you, and you have angels assigned to you. Remember I said fear nothing but God, but anyway, let's go on. Number two, don't sweat the small stuff. What do I mean? And the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you tidings, good tidings, Good news of great joy, which will be to all people. Not some, but all. Not just the Jews, but the entire planet. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I think if you probably interviewed Mary, if we could just have Mary right here, right now, boom, see, here she is. Mary, oh my gosh. Mary, can we just talk to you for just a minute? Mary, what were you thinking? What happened? You had nowhere to have Jesus. You were in a lambing cave. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Would you have rather been home with your mom and a midwife? What do you think she would have said? Probably yes. I've had three babies. I've had them all in a hospital, in a clean environment, where if anything happened, somebody was there at least to help. What do you think it was like to probably have a baby in Mary's day? There was midwives and mothers. There was a birthing stool. There was a, a team. They, they were with you. All of a sudden, it's just her and Joseph. And they haven't been intimate yet, so he, he has not seen parts of her. When you have a baby, everything's exposed. And so here's this young couple, and they're in a lambing cave because Bethlehem was the place of David, and that's where they raised the sheep. And the sheep were in lambing caves. There were caves. There's rocks everywhere. This was not a stable made of wood. This was a cave. Can I have the picture of the cave? I forgot about Balaam's pictures. I'm so sorry. This is a typical lambing cave. All over Bethlehem. This is just a scene from Bethlehem. And the, the actual cave where Mary believed, where the church believed Mary had Jesus, is the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. And you can't even see it anymore. There's a church over it, and you walk down these stairs, and there's a star of Bethlehem over it, and they say, underneath there is the cave. But this is a very typical cave. This is probably very much with where she was. Now, do you think she probably would have rather have not had her baby there? Girls, what do you think? Yes, no? Okay, I'd, I'd probably say, yeah, probably not. No room in the inn. Okay, so we're, we're out in the stable. We're out in the lambing cave. But the angel said, this will be a sign unto you. 
You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, just think about that for a minute. You're the shepherds, a host of angels. You've seen the angels. You've heard the glorious. And they said, we got to go see this. Let's go. And they got up and they went, how are they going to find a baby? They're going to knock on doors? Is there a baby in here? It's the middle of the night. This will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, just born, lying in a manger. They knew exactly what that meant. It was a signpost to get them to find Jesus. The very thing that was unhealthy, unclean, uncomfortable, was the very thing that God used as a sign to get the shepherds to Jesus. So let's just take that principle and take it into our lives, okay? This is, do you see what I see Christmas, all right? So if that's true, then we're looking to make our life comfortable, are we not? Is that not what, is that not what we try to do? We want a bigger house, we need a bigger car, we need a better this, we want new clothes, we want better food. Is that, is that, is that just me? It's humanity. Would you not say we are doing everything we can in our lives to be comfortable, right? There's nothing wrong with that. However, God is not looking to make us comfortable. God is looking to make us his. Therefore, there's going to be many things in your life and my life that aren't comfortable. There's going to be many circumstances and situations that are not in my plan. There's going to be many opportunities for me to have to go south when I want to go north, but God's calling me on his path, not mine. But the very thing that you don't like, that you don't want, that you want to change, that you're trying to get away from, that you're trying to get out from underneath, could be the very thing that God is going to use to bring others to God and bring you closer to him, just like Mary and that cave and those shepherds. And this shall be a sign unto you. It was a signpost. You're going to find him because this is where he's going to be. You're not going to have to knock on doors. You're shepherds. You know where the lambing caves are. Go find him. And you're going to see the king, the Messiah. And you see, in my life, I tell you, I'm not so sure I like getting old. I would much rather be 30 than almost 70. When I was 30, I got, out, I got up out of bed and I sprang out of bed. I had a bunch of kids and I had boundless energy. I don't spring out of bed anymore. I kind of creak out of bed and I got to warm up a little bit with Jim. You know, Jim and I, when we were young, oh my gosh, you know, we just had a five-minute rule, and we were ready. Now that we're old, 15-minute warm-up, 30-minute warm-up, maybe takes us a whole day. <laughs> I don't see like I used to see. I'm not hearing like I used to hear. I'm diminishing. But you see, the very thing that I don't like is orchestrated by God to wean me away from this earth and get me ready to go home. Old age is a privilege. It's not a curse. A lot of us don't get to see old age. Those of us that get to see it are blessed of God. And the very thing I don't like is the very thing that's helping me to see him more and more. What is in your life that you don't like and you want to change? Well, if it's not changing and you can't do anything about it, maybe you just need to have the baby in the lambing cave. Because you don't know how God's going to take that circumstance and point others to him through your life. Last one. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, let me just give this to you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and speak. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the encouragement to you tonight in your Christmas is 
if things are tough, if life isn't where you want it to be, if you're discouraged, if you're wondering about your future, if you're having a baby in a lambing cave right now and that was not your plan, God says it's only temporary. It's not forever. It's a season. I'm going to use it because God wastes nothing in our lives. Nothing. There is nothing that happens to you or that you will do or experience that God will waste. He will use everything for his glory if you will relax, give it to him, and have the baby. Number one, fear nothing but God. Number two, don't sweat the small stuff. He's got a plan for it. And number three, last one tonight, remember that you are his holy place. This Christmas, you're his holy place. You're his temple. You, my darlings, are where he lives. You are where he resides. You are where he dreams with you, leads you, and guides you. And you are his temple, his body, and his people. I was standing right over there last Sunday, and Joey was singing with the worship team. And God spoke to me, and he said, remember, you are my holy place. Not a church building, not a song, not a circumstance. Child, I am in you, and you are my temple. You see, in the Old Testament, it started out with Adam falling away through sin. And Adam was afraid, and God had to cast him out of paradise. He put cherubim with flaming swords so Adam and Eve would not try to go back. And now they have a life to live as fallen beings. And the title deed of earth has been handed over to Satan. Their first child committed the first murder. There was sorrow. When God looked at Eve and said, in sorrow and hard work, you're going to bring forth children. He wasn't talking about just the birth. He was talking about raising a fallen humanity. Where before they would not have had fallen natures. They would have been like Jesus. Now we are fallen and we have self-centered natures. And it's all about us. That's why your children, the first word that you hear from them usually is no. Mine. Right? We're fallen. The amazing thing is that God knew that we were going to be empty. And we were going to be separated. It's called spiritual death. So God sent himself born of a virgin, the kinsman redeemer, the one that had to be like us, a close relative, a blood relative. He had to have the resources to redeem us, and he had to be willing to do it. That's what the book of Ruth is all about, the kinsman redeemer. God is showing us signposts through the Old Testament. You're lost and you're broken, but I'm coming. There's one coming. Even Eve, from the seed of the woman, there's going to be war with Satan. But her seed is going to crush his head and take back his government. And I'm going to reconcile all things back through the last Adam, the word made flesh. And this word became flesh. We didn't know the father. We couldn't see him. We were so separated from him. And Jesus said, I've come not just to give you life, but I've come to show you the Father. If you want to know what God is like, just watch me because I'm his exact replica. He's in me and I'm in him. And if you see me, you have seen him. This amazing God that made heaven and earth and made you and wasn't willing to be without you, came and said, I'm not just going to be near you in the Old Testament, but I'm going to bring the Messiah, the seed of the woman, and his name's going to be Emmanuel, which means not just God near us. Emmanuel means God with us. 
And then he's not just going to be with you, but he's going to go to a cross. And the first crown that he's ever going to wear because he's born king of kings and lord of lords. But the first earth crown is the last Adam that he will ever wear will be put on his head at Calvary's cross, the crown of thorns. And he's wearing that crown because he's going to break the curse. And he's going to destroy the destroyer. And he's going to put everything back. Oh, he'll have the crown of many crowns. But his first crown will be the crown of thorns. The curse that is upon the earth because of Adam's fall. I'm his temple. What does that mean? God near me, Old Testament. Emmanuel, God with me, Jesus. New Testament, God in me. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are in him. He is in you. You are fused with the Godhead. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are not angels and fallen beings. You've been translated out of darkness, and you've brought into the kingdom of the Son of God. You are going to join him. There's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a union. You are going to be changed. What you are today is not what you are going to be. This earth is a walk through, but there is a destiny and a purpose and an eternity. And this baby, this last Adam came to put it all back together. And now he's in me and I am his temple. And God says, I'm holy. Be holy, because I am. Remember, Debbie, you're my holy place. God, what does that mean? I'm your holy place. Well, let me just give you a couple of ideas for Christmas. The word holy, it's a God word. Do we really even know what it means? It's hard to define. Can I have the scripture up that I had in First Peter? But as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, if we tell you the definition of holy, the theological definition is separated for God. Well, that's great. Okay, that gives me a little piece of it. But how do you explain God's holy? Well, let's just think for a minute. God is infinite. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And he's all-powerful, is he not? We all know those three things, don't we? We don't know what they mean, but we know them, right? And God says, be holy, because I'm holy. It's a God word. Like, God is good. It's a God word. God is love. It's a God word, agape. So what is holy? Well, just to put it really simply, holy is absolute, complete purity. He's altogether him. He's God. There's nothing missing. When he creates, he doesn't get less creative. When he works, he doesn't get exhausted. When he sees and he's everywhere present, he doesn't get confused. He's absolute perfection. So holy is pure perfection. Now how can you and I be pur purely perfect? Well, this side of heaven it ain't going to happen for this girl. But I'm on my way. I'm on my way. He says, you be holy like I'm holy. Look, you're going to mess up. You're going to screw up. You're not going to, you're going to miss the mark like Paul said. But I press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to be like him. I'm working. I love what everybody, ever, anybody ever heard of uh, Billy Graham and his wife Ruth Graham? On her gravestone, she says, thank you for putting up with me. My construction is finished. She's done. She's completed. She's home. She is what she's supposed to be. We are under construction, but we don't stop. Holiness is a position. I'm holy before God. He sees Jesus, like Jim explained on Sunday, his righteousness. I'm right with God, and I can do right for God. It's always a position and always a practice. I'm holy before God. God sees me through Jesus. He sees me perfect. But he's very aware of my imperfections, and we're working that salvation out.
me and the Holy Spirit. But the point is, you're his temple. He lives in you. That means this Christmas, wherever you go, whatever you do, you're taking God with you. You're taking the one that can do anything except lie. You're taking the God of the universe that loves humanity so you can love those people through his eyes. Just like he identified with us, maybe if you're going to crazy families, you can identify with their craziness. You know, we're all crazy. Do you know that? We are all a little crazy. Weirdness, mutual weirdness on planet Earth. So just look at their weirdness and maybe just identify with it. Don't join them in it. You stay the sober, you stay the designated driver, you stay sane so you can be used of God to speak what he needs you to speak. But remember, you bring him with you. Somebody's sick in your house, you go to family, you don't like them, but they talk about maybe what's going wrong and you can say, hey, can I pray for you? Pray. It doesn't have to be a big, long, oh, Lord, thou art God almighty. Talk to him. Ask him, can you fix this, Father? Can you help him? Thank you, Lord. I love him. He's my brother. I know he screwed up, but oh, God, thank you that you take the screwed up and you make us straight. Guys, Christmas is amazing. Do you see what I see? Balaam was crazy prophet evil died, but God took a crazy man and spoke the prophecy of the star and the word of the Lord and blessed what man wanted to curse. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that would rise against you in judgment, you shall, be, you shall condemn it, for it's the heritage of the righteous. Fear nothing but God. How about number two? Don't sweat the small stuff. Have the baby in the cave. You never know. It might be a signpost for somebody else. Don't try to get out of it. Get in it with joy and thankfulness and watch God use it in your life. Number three, remember you're his holy place. On this planet where he lives and where he resides and where he works through is you. So this Christmas, be who God called you to be amazing sons and daughters, regardless of the circumstances, loving people to life and enjoying the wonderful holiday. Did you get something out of tonight? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.